Paul Smith spent the first 24 years after college following the safe, traditional corporate career path. And then he did something crazy. And it was the best decision of his life. First, he had spent the first two years as a consultant with Arthur Anderson, who is now a century. And then he spent two years in business school, which was the Wharton School at University of Penn. And then he had spent the next 20 years in progressively higher levels of management at the Procter & Gamble company. Ultimately, he had served as the head of consumer research for a $6 billion global business. But that's not the crazy part. During that time, he had spent many of those years studying the art and science of leadership, communication, selling, and character. And he spent the last 10 years specifically studying the practice of storytelling. For that, he personally interviewed hundreds of people in dozens of countries from around the world. And these people had different jobs, ranging from CEOs to comedians and everything in between. He looked for those profound moments of clarity in their careers and their personal lives where they learned an absolutely essential lesson. And that essential lesson had to be worthy of passing along to the next generation of management and humanity. What he found amazed him. And in fact, it amazed him so much that he quit his job to dedicate his full-time efforts to sharing these lessons. He also started coaching leaders in the art and science of business storytelling. And nowadays, he spends his time speaking to audiences all around the world to share the wisdom in these stories. But after documenting thousands of stories along the way, he learned something else how to identify and craft an effective and compelling story. And so when he is not speaking or writing, he is helping companies and their leaders craft their corporate stories. He teaches workshops and seminars on the art and science of storytelling, as well as leadership, so you and your team can be more effective leaders. His days now are a long ways away from his corporate life that he used to lead. But the work that he does, he is truly passionate about, which I'm confident you'll find as inspiring as I do. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Paul Smith to the show and let's get started. Hi, my name is Kirby Ingalls, and you're listening to the True Success Podcast. My goal is to help you find true success by helping you live a rich and satisfying life, a life of happiness and meaning, and becoming a pillar of your community. This podcast is designed to inspire you to write a new narrative, revolutionize the way we live, and create a ripple effect that resonates with future generations. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm here with Paul Smith. He is one of the world's leading business storytellers. Uh, he is also an author of several books. Uh, Paul has spent his first 24 years right after college following a safe and traditional corporate path. And then he did something crazy. And he actually, he says it was the best decision of his life. 
Paul, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks. So, uh, yeah, I, I did spend those first 24 years following a pretty traditional, safe corporate career path. Uh, a couple of years as a consultant at Accenture, 20, and then I went back to school to get an MBA, um, then 20 years at the Procter & Gamble Company. Um, and that's when that's when the crazy thing happened. Uh, you know, I was in my mid-40s at the time and decided to leave all of that um, to be a solopreneur, I think is the hip and trendy word for it these days, but um, to, to write books, to be an author and a speaker and a, a, a trainer on the topic of storytelling, um, which if you know anything about, you know, that line of work, there is absolutely no job security. I mean, you, you know, you, you get paid based on how many people buy your books and how many people hire, to, hire you to give a speech and that's it. You know, there's no salary, no perks, no benefits, no corporate paycheck, no nothing. So uh, yeah, that was a, a definitely a diversion, but, but yes, absolutely the best decision ever made. And that's been eight years now. And um, you know, I haven't looked back and, and uh, it was definitely a good decision. Yeah. I'd love to dive into that a little more later in the show, you know, but I think that, you know, what I would really kind of like to know, and, and for those that are inspiring or maybe listening to the show that potentially are looking at a corporate career, um, what that was like for you, you know, and, and how you made that decision. So you obviously you, you made a decision to go to college and then you, you said you spent some time in Accenture and then, uh, and then Procter and Gamble after that. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, about about leaving uh, or well, not necessarily leaving, but how you got to get started in that direction, and oh, okay, uh, we'll kind of lead up in that in a minute. Yeah, you know, my dad was a businessman. Mm -hmm. His dad was a businessman. You know, when I was in high school, I you know all of the adult male role models in my life were businessmen, so I just naturally assumed that you know to be a responsible adult male, that's what I had to do. I had to go you know study economics and finance and business and, you know, get degrees in those things and uh, pursue a business career. So that's exactly what I did because I just, I, I kind of thought that's what you're supposed to do. And I liked it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. I mean, both those companies I worked for were fabulous and still are fabulous companies. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the work, but somewhere along the way, I just got fascinated with this concept of storytelling. And I think I just recognized that the, the leaders I admired the most were particularly good at it. And that frustrated me because that's not something they taught me at Accenture. They didn't teach me that at Procter and Gamble. They didn't teach me that in undergrad. They didn't teach me that in business school. You know, whereas I felt like academically I was prepared for just about any other skill set that I needed to be successful in the business world, but not that one. I mean, nobody even mentioned it. And so that kind of set me out on my own little personal learning journey. I started reading all the books I could find on the topic, and I ended up, um, you know, interviewing a bunch of leaders I thought were particularly good at it. And, you know, at this point, I'm up to three or 400 CEOs and executives and mm -hmm. leaders that I've interviewed, um, you know, on this topic. And each of them probably tells me eight to 10 to 12 different stories. So if you do the math, I've, I think I've literally documented around 3000 individual business stories at this point. And wow. So that's allowed me to kind of reverse engineer my way into what works and what doesn't and obviously became the, the background research that ended up leading me to write you know, my first book and the, that, which led to the second one and the third one. And that, so that's what led to this career change was this fascination with this one very, admittedly very narrow topic in leadership, storytelling, hmm. which nobody had taught me how to do before. And that's when I, I realized, you know, surely if I want to know about this that badly, there are probably other people that do as well. And that's why it became an idea for a book. And, and it turns out other people did want to know. <laughs> and 
you know, that I think that first book is now in its 11th or 12th printing and it's in seven or eight languages around the world. And so clearly other people were interested in this topic. And that's why it became a career change instead of just something interesting I did on the side. Well, that's all really awesome. I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And and I think there's a lot there to unpack. I mean, I, I already got a, like four or five questions in my head just from, from that conversation that we've had. You know, I've always found it interesting, you know, for me, uh, if I'm, if I may share a little bit, uh, you know, I joined the military right out of high school because I thought that was the family business. Right. And I had to get into that. Um, and I remember speaking to my grandfather about it. Right. Cause my father served four years in the Navy and got out and my grandfather did four years. In the Navy got out, but there was only one person in my family that ever retired. And I kind of got to a point to where I was like, you know, and there was probably several points while I was in the military. I was like, you know, I'm not sure, you know, this is it. Uh, there's other things going on. And, you know, and the military is a pretty stable career, probably like, you know, after being, you know, in corporate America for mm -hmm. 24 years, you're, you've got a lot of security at there. You know, you've established yourself, mm -hmm. you've, you know, you, if you needed to leave one company, you could probably find a job in another company relatively easy. I mean, it's, it's not easy, but, you know, probably easier yeah. than entry level because um, you've already established yourself. And he always told me, he says, I just, he always said, I, he didn't really regret it, but he's like, you know, I wish I would have stayed because there's a lot of things, right? There's just a lot of things that I wish I would have done. Um, and I always played that in the back of my head he's like i didn't miss meeting your grandmother and having you know seven children and you know i mean i love that life but he's like i just wish i would have given it a bit more chance not been so young and naive and i thought i had it all figured out and you know was there you know any like would you have any conversations like that with your father um when you were trying to make this decision oh yeah in fact it was a conversation with him that finally had me make the decision to, to, to walk away from that corporate career. Uh, because, you know, I, I told him, you know, the situation I was in, that I had this fascination with this topic. And that the truth is, while I liked my corporate career, what I really knew that I loved was teaching. I loved speaking and training and, and, and teaching people. And so, and that's the career path that I was flirting with moving to, which is the one that I'm in now. But, you know, like you said, I, I was in my mid forties at the time. My, my wife was a full-time mom at home. I had two kids that we were raising, you know, uh, so I was too young for retirement and had college funds to build and like leaving in the middle of your career is normally not the smartest thing to do financially, you know, so it was a, it was a huge risk. Um, so I wrote my, my dad a, a letter. He was 80 years old at the time and he, he was hard, hard of hearing. So I couldn't just call him on the phone and ask it. So I wrote him a letter and I told him my predicament. And I thought he would write me back and tell me one of two things, right? He's either going to say, oh, son, absolutely. Follow, follow your dream. I, I know you can do it. You know, I, I, I got your back, you know, like, or whatever. You know, he's yeah. going to be the supportive cheerleading dad, or he's going to say, are you nuts? Like, just keep your head down for another five, 10 years, whatever, you know, retire comfortably and then go play with these silly dreams or whatever. You know, he's going to be the practical dad, right? Yeah. But he didn't do either of those things, right? What he did was he told me the story about himself that I'd never heard before. And neither had any of my siblings. He, he said, uh, uh, when I was, he said, when I was five years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life. He said, I wanted to be a singer, like, mm -hmm. like Frank Sinatra or Tony Bennett yeah. or Sammy Davis Jr. Right. He was 80, right? That's his job. Yeah. And he said, I knew that for sure. The first day of the first grade, the teacher asked all of us if any of us had any special talent, like magic tricks or dancing or something. And he said, I raised my hand and I said, well, I can sing. 
even though he'd never sung in front of anybody but his mom in the kitchen, right? He's five, yeah. five. So anyway, of course, what do you think a good teacher would have done at that moment when little Bobby Smith said, announced that he could sing? Yeah, you've probably got a lot of work ahead of you, you know, and you got to practice and, you know, you've got a long journey, you know, before you can make it. You're probably going to be 30 or 40 years old before somebody recognizes you because that's well, probably what Sinatra and Sammy Davis were. I mean, they probably had yeah. second careers. They struggled probably well, most of their lives. Well, that would be a very reasonable teacher. Yeah. His teacher said, well, Bobby, get up and sing us a song. So a little... <laughs> Little five-year-old Bobby Smith got up and belted out his favorite song, a cappella, right there in front of the teacher and all the students. And he said in this letter that he's writing, he said, I nailed it, right? I got all the words right, all the melody right. He said, the teacher and the other students, they stood up and applauded me. He said, I got a standing ovation my first time singing in front of an audience. He said, that's the moment that I knew. This is what I was destined to do with my life. And he said, unfortunately, that turned out to also be the last time I ever sang in front of an audience, first and last time. He said, you know, it was always my dream, but the truth is I just never had the courage to go through it. And he said, and that was 75 years ago. And there's not a month that goes by that I have not regretted that decision. And he said, you know, someday you're going to wake up and you're going to be 80 years old like me, and it's going to be too late to pursue your dream. And, you know, it, and if that wasn't enough, and by the way, it was, that was like enough to convince yeah. me right there. He closes this letter, this written letter with the words, he said, um, I'd love to see you achieve your dream, but that doesn't mean in your lifetime, son. Yeah. That means in mine. And oh man, that just hit me right here, right? I mean, I tick tock, the guy's 80, right? <laughs> so literally two days later, I walked into my boss's office and I resigned from the company for my 20 year career to pursue this dream. And, and I absolutely would not have done it nearly that soon had it not been for, for my dad. Well, that's an incredible story. That reminds me of, um... You know, this movie I watched about uh, this PJ in Vietnam, um, he given his life, you know, in this broken arrow situation, which is basically means their position was compromised and the, the probably uh, they were all going to die, you know, and so they were calling down fire on top of themselves. Um, and, uh, and, you know, long story short, there was this young hot rod Pentagon guy, and it's based off a true story. Uh, he, uh, he didn't really want to take this assignment because this guy was trying to get this this gentleman the, the medal of honor posthumously before his father passed away and his father was like pushing 90 had cancer had beaten it you know done all these other things and uh it became a mission of his to get this done before he was gone and at all cost, i mean he even like threw his political career away to make this happen um and so when you told that story that that completely reminded me of that i just saw um and those are those tearjerker moments you know you're just mm -hmm. like you just there's no more humanity in the world than just like right at that moment in that story it's just yeah. and those are powerful stories I, I really do appreciate you sharing that with us uh you know earlier um you kind of alluded to uh, i think it was three thousand stories i think you said you documented was that right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, so before I get to that, because I do have a follow-up question about that, but I think this is a better question to start with is, is, you know, why, you know, you said they never talked to you in a censure or Procter and Gamble to, to tell stories. And for some of us, we kind of pick up on like stories allow, you know, I guess people to connect emotionally and, and probably a bunch of other ways that I'm not giving credit to, but why is it better? for people to tell stories um, 
then to tell people what to do because my time in the military it was always you're going to do what i say and when i tell you to yeah. do it and how i tell you to do it and there is no option and then i know a lot of millennials were getting flack right as they came in the military and i had this one wise star major he said tell them why that's all they need to know they're smart hmm. they have skills they've got things that are going on that we don't have and if you tell them why they're going to figure it out that's all you got to do and this right. is kind of like before the simon cynic you know blew up the golden mm -hmm. circle and all this mm -hmm. other stuff but yeah. no but the question really is is a, why does these stories work better than just telling people like hey this is what you got to do today just execute yeah yeah so a, a, a few responses to that um first of all there's still a place for just telling people what to do i mean if you're the boss you still need to tell people what to do so bossing people around you know, still part of your job. Um, there are obviously similarities between being in the military and being in business, but there are important differences as well, right? Usually people's lives are not at stake. Yeah. Um, and, and typically if the boss tells you something you don't want to do, you just, you know, you flip in the bird and you walk out, right? You can't do that. <laughs> in the military. So yeah, yeah in, in the business world, you can't just tell people exactly what to go do and, uh, mm -hmm. and they have no choice to do it. They, they right. do have a choice. So yeah. you need to be a little bit more in, in, in engendering of their desires <laughs> in the business world than in the military. Um, but, uh, but most importantly, it's not all the time. So in fact, I, I tell people only 10 to 15% of the time should you be telling stories. The other 85 to 90% of the time, you're just, you're talking to people and giving them direction and coaching them and leading them the same way you always have. But 10 to 15% of the time, you probably ought to use storytelling to help answer those questions of why or to give them a more human reason to go do something or to inspire them or to explain something that just can't be explained with a list, you know, so there, so, uh, so recognize that it's, it's a minority of the time. So mm -hmm. storytelling will not be your most frequent leadership communication tool, but it probably will be your most, most powerful one. And the reason, not to answer your, your question, the reason is mostly because of how humans make decisions, right? It turns out we don't make the logical, rational decisions that we'd like to think we do. It turns out, and a lot of the cognitive sciences has borne this out, that mm -hmm. you know, we, we make many, if not most of our decisions in a more emotional processing, subconscious part of the brain. And then we rationalize those decisions logically and rationally a few nanoseconds later in a conscious thinking part of the brain. So we leave a decision-making process only conscious of the rational reasons why we did it. Not knowing the truth is our subconscious brain decided for us a few nanoseconds earlier and the rest of our brain is just trying to catch up, right? And stories are just better at reaching that other part of the brain. So you need to talk to both parts of the brain and storytelling is really your only vehicle to talk to that other part. Yeah, you mentioned uh, about 10% of the time, 10 to 15% of the time, you only need to be telling stories. I mean, and you kind of alluded to a little bit, but how do you pick and choose those moments? Because, you know, you could really, I mean, every moment might seem like, oh, I need to tell a story here. And it may not be the right times. How do you, how would you help leaders out there? Like, how do you pick those moments? Yeah, so that's a great question. When, when people are asking um, for advice, mm -hmm. that's a great time to tell a story. Right. Like the, the, in fact, the response that you want to hear when you go to your boss with a problem, what you don't necessarily want to hear is, well, uh, you know, look, Kirby, go do this, this, this and this. Those are those are your marching orders. Go, go execute. Like I came to you for advice, not for orders. 
right? What you'd rather hear is, well, you know, that does sound like a tough problem. Let me tell you what I did five years ago when I had your job and I ran into that problem. Mm. Now, do you want to hear what they have to say at that point? Of course, yeah. but they're going to tell you a story about what they did five years ago when they had your job and they ran into that problem. Now, you don't know if they're going to tell you a good story or a bad, or not good and bad, but you don't know whether they're going to tell you a success story or a failure story. They mm. may tell you how they did the perfect thing and it solved the problem, where they may tell you, I did these three things and it was a miserable failure. I almost lost my job over it. But you want to hear that story too, right? Because you want to count those three things off. Oh, I'm not going to try those three things, right? So anytime somebody's looking for advice, a story is a much better way to deliver it than to boss people around and tell them what to do. That, that, that's the first place, I think, advice. Yeah, you know, and I, as I think about this, you know, um, and working with, you know, managers, directors, and VPs in corporate America, you know, one of the things that I've tried to encourage them to do is tell more stories. You know, it's not just the CEO of a company telling a story to kind of motivate the masses, but this could be used to, to kind of motivate small teams to achieve performance measures. Um, uh, is that true? Not true? Uh, you know, what are your thoughts there? The that you should use it to motivate yeah. people? Is that I mean, you know, most of the managers are at that point, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, middle company men, they're just generally, or men and women, but they're just generally telling folks what needs to happen. You know, and they're saying, mm -hmm. hey, by Friday, we got to have this out. We got to, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's the case. I've generally seen in the past, it's usually like, a, you know, we'll, we'll take a perfect example that everybody has known in the past. A Steve Jobs that comes up and tells a story about an Apple iPhone, which goes crazy right i mean mm -hmm. that's the probably the one example we could all probably yeah. relate to but yeah how can, so, you know you take those 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 folks that are you know those um um d-suite level executives that can really kind of not motivate the masses but you know these small teams because we've really become uh if you want to take covid for example we've become so remote um in these you know zoom worlds <laughs> if you will. Um, and they're just remote teams at this point. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, well, the first thing I'd say is recognize that motivating an organization is definitely one of the things that you can use storytelling for, mm -hmm. but it's not the only one, mm -hmm. but it's usually the one that people realize, oh yeah, great stories would help me be a more motivational leader. But most of the time, I'm not trying to motivate people. I'm just mm -hmm. trying to get them to do their job or teach them lessons yeah. or get them to be more creative or try to get them to collaborate better together. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Stories can help you with all of those parts of leadership too. It's not just that big story you tell on the stage mm -hmm. at the company annual meeting in front yep. of thousands of people to really, or at the annual sales meeting to really rile. Yes, of course, those are great times for storytelling too. But if that's the only kind of storytelling that you know how to do, like that's this much. I mean, all those other facets of storytelling that I just mentioned mm -hmm. are great opportunities for storytelling as well. In fact, I mean, I, I, there are dozens of different types of stories that I cover in each of the books. The, the, the last one, I tried to narrow it down to 10. You know, mm -hmm. what are the 10 most important types of stories to yeah. tell? But, you know, motivating people is just one and it didn't even make my list of top 10. <laughs> I think there are more important stories than that. So, I mean, we can dig into that if you're interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and I, I will add that I think that we've kind of gotten this, uh, 
the entertainment business has kind of got us into the wolf of wall street you know the go you know go do it for the gipper type stuff you know and that's what we hear right any given sunday you know rudy rudiger you know we hear those and we think that that's what we do with storytelling or you know motivational speech yeah but there's a lot more lessons that you know we could be teaching with stories like you alluded to you know collaboration you know conflict in the workplace and just different things that you could do um i think it's very powerful but i want to get back to the piece where before we move forward or you mm-hmm. said you've captured three thousand or more than three thousand business mm-hmm. stories how does a person do that? I mean, could you give us some, some ideas? I kind of had some ideas myself, but uh, can you share some ideas with us on how you were able to successfully do that? Yeah. So, (laughs) um, you know, that when I decided to write that first book, I realized, well, I'm going to have to interview a lot of executives. So, um, you know, I, I, I started to call and ask leaders to interview with me. Um, But it, it was actually my publisher's idea. They thought, you know, I know you've, Paul, over 20 years, you've heard a lot of interesting stories, but your book should be full of stories from other people as well. And so you need to interview, you know, a bunch of people. And, but I thought, well, why would a bunch of perfect strangers, like heads of companies, CEOs, executives, why would they agree to spend time interviewing with me? And uh, when I finally started to call them and ask them, 93% of them said yes. Only 7% said no. And I'm convinced here's the reason why. Um, because I could have done it one of two ways. I could have called somebody up as soon as I had the idea to write a book and say, uh, you know, hey, Kirby, uh, I'm, you don't know me, but my name's Paul Smith. And, uh, you know, gosh, I've always wanted to write a book. And so uh, I'm, I'm interviewing, uh, you know, leaders and executives trying to find out what kind of stories they tell. And, you know, I don't know if it'll ever get published, uh, but uh, I'd love it if, you know, could you like spare an hour of your time to work, you know, let me interview you. And that's the kind of invitation that you know a CEO might get, you know, several times a year. And like, look, I just don't, I don't have time for that, yeah. right? But instead, what I called and said was this: uh, Hey, Kirby, my name is Paul Smith. I'm under contract with the American Management Association to write a book on leadership storytelling that's going to be published in the fall. I'm looking for smart leaders at successful companies to feature in the book. Would you have an hour to spend time with me to interview for this? Ninety-three percent of them said yes. <laughs> and the difference is. The second way says, I'm going to write this book. It's already got a, I already have a publishing contract. It's going to be published in the fall, whether you're in it or not. Do you want to be among the awesome leaders in this book or do you not want to be? And 93% said, yeah, I would like to. But if it's just a chance that, you know, and mm-hmm. most people know that like less than 10% of books ever get published that mm-hmm. get written, you know, so it's just a big waste of time if somebody doesn't even have a plan yet, doesn't have a publishing contract yet, you know. So that's the reason why. And then once I got on the phone with them, I, I learned some techniques to get them to actually tell stories and asking them to tell a story was not one of those techniques. Cause I, I tried that at first and it just, mm-hmm. nobody knows what to do when you say, uh, Hey, tell me some of your best stories. And I'm like, well, I don't really know what that means. Yeah. In fact, I, I found out when I finally, I finally found ways to get them to tell me stories and I would, I would uh, write them back and say, okay, here's the story I want to use in the book. And frequently I would get the feedback. They'd say, Oh, I didn't know that's what you were looking for because that's not really a story. That's just something that happened to me one time. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's what a story is. Yeah. It's a narrative about something that happened to you, right? But yeah. people don't associate story with something that happened to them. They mm-hmm. associate the word story with something they tell a lot. And I wasn't mm-hmm. looking for stories they tell a lot. I was looking yeah. for interesting things that happened to them that I could turn into great stories. 
Mm-hmm. So you you learn some tricks like that. I think that's important because you know one of the things I was just I was just thinking about um, that uh, you know I know a lot of people that have said that I I really don't have anything interesting to say, you know, and you you know alluded to you know yeah, that something interesting had happened to them or you know, uh, and it doesn't have to be interesting. I mean, it could have been something that really didn't go well. Uh, most folks will be like, "Why? Well, I just haven't done a whole lot. You know, I've only been in the industry 10 years, you know, I've kind of worked my way up, mm-hmm. just became a manager. You know, it, you know, there's a lot of kind of that, you know, hodgepodge, you know, kicking the can around and you don't necessarily have to have a, your own stories. They can be stories that have been told to you that you reshare. Oh, absolutely. You, you, so let me respond to that two ways. First of all, after interviewing hundreds of people, I'm convinced that almost everybody has a book-worthy story in them, or two or three. Now, most people don't have dozens or hundreds, but most of us have two or three really, really good stories in us, the things that have happened mm-hmm. to us. And I'm, I'm convinced that the people that t- seem to have a lot of stories to tell aren't necessarily more interesting people or lead more interesting lives. They're just people that had the good sense to remember the interesting things that happened to them and tell them in the form of a story. So mm-hmm. I'm sure some people are more interesting than others, but but mostly it's the people that re, you know think, oh, somebody might find that interesting if I tell them. But anyway, you, the, the main point is, uh, yes, most, in fact, most of the stories that you tell should not be about you, right? Mm-hmm. There's only one you, and you've only got you know a few really, really good stories to tell. But I've got two or three really good ones, and you've got two or three really good ones, and you know other people you work with have two or three really good ones, and you start sharing stories, and so you need to collect and have a repertoire of stories, of leadership stories to tell at the right moment, and most of them are not going to be about you, and if they are, guess what? You're not the kind of manager most people want to hear from, right? The, that manager that's, who's always talking about him or herself, I mean, that kind of egocentric mm-hmm. leadership is not the kind of thing most people want to endure. Right? You need to be telling stories about other people. And when you do tell a story about yourself every once in a while, sometimes it needs to be a failure story. Right? Here, let me tell you about my three biggest mistakes I ever made in my career. That's a story people want to listen to. That, that's the kind of leader people want to work for. Yeah, let me ask you this then. Um, a lot of the stories that I have told, I have experienced on a firsthand basis. You know, And I may have been one of the key players in the story. But a lot of them I've never told from my perspective. It's always, I always, well, I guess I did tell from my perspective, but I've always told it about the other person. I made it about the other person. It wasn't really about me. I might've been there. I might've witnessed it. I might've seen it, but it really wasn't about me. It was about them. Uh, Would that qualify as telling stories about other folks? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The stories you tell about other people shouldn't have anything to do with you. Mm -hmm. It's about them. Yeah. something they did where they learned an interesting lesson and other people will learn from it when you tell them that story. Cause I have a story that I usually tell about a supervisor, one of the first supervisors I had and how um, I was able to connect with them and how they kind of helped me, you know, move through the, the organization and, and get promoted and do all these things. And we've stayed in contact all these years, but I mean, I just kind of use a lot of personal examples on how they mentored me and helped change mm-hmm. my life and help, you know, with transformation process. And it really wasn't about me. It really was about their leadership, you know, and what they did. Um, and, uh, you know, and then generally I, I tell that one and there's probably several others. You know, uh, you did mention earlier, uh, you said, you know, for your last book, uh, 
you said that there were 10 stories you boiled everything down to um or not boiled down to but you said were the 10 most important that i picked out so, yeah yeah so could you share some of that with us yeah 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 i'll just I mean, i'll just give you the whole list i, I know oh. you know i've been studying this for a decade and like i said there are dozens of types of leadership stories mm -hmm. but if you're looking for 10 to start with you know mm -hmm. what are the first 10 stories i ought to learn these are probably them be them and the first four kind of go together because they're about setting the direction for the organization so that's where we came from that's a founding story mm -hmm. Why we can't stay there, it's a case for change story. Where we're going, which is a vision story, and how we're going to get there, which is a strategy story, okay? Because the strategy is about how you're going to get from where you are now to where you want to be. The next four go together as well, but they're more about who we are as an organization. Okay. So that's what we believe. It's a corporate values story. Mm -hmm. Who we serve, so that's a customer story, a story about the customer so everybody can get a personal human understanding of who the ultimate boss is. How, uh, what we do for our customers. So that's kind of a classical sales story. Like yeah. every leader ought to be able to tell at least one good sales story. Um, number eight is how we're different from our competitors. So I call that a marketing story because marketing is generally about differentiating yourself from your competitors, but every leader ought to be able to tell one good, how we're different from our competitor story. So that gets us to eight. So two more, the last two are more personal to you, the, the leader. Mm -hmm. So number nine is why I lead the way I do. So that's a personal leadership philosophy story. Number 10 is why you should want to work here and not you, but you, whoever you're talking mm -hmm. to, right? So that's a recruiting story because leaders need to bring in talented people to the organization. Now, notice nowhere in there did I say uh, inspire and motivate story. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's another type, but it didn't even make my top 10. But yeah, that would be a number 11. We'll call that number 11. Yeah, I, I think all those are really important. I mean, I probably ran across all those at some point in time. Um, and uh, I, I think, that you, you know, there's a lot of value there. And I think that if, you know, if, you know, someone in the audience was to sit there and write down those 10 stories, they could probably figure it out real quick, you know, what those were. And they probably wouldn't need a whole lot of practice telling them if they just had the list and said, you know, what are our values and they could write them down and they could find a personal, not maybe a personal story, but a story about, you know, why their values are the way they are and um, who they serve and why they serve them and things like that. It's, 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 it's astonishing the amount of people that I talk to that um, just don't have that clarity. And so I think this is a really good exercise for folks to kind of help just even transform themselves into that, that, that type of leader that, um, becomes um, that person that everybody is becomes really likable at, at least you know because um, to people who tend to tell stories are pretty likable for the most part that's that's uh, one of the many people, reasons right? why it works yeah. yeah they do they do the true success podcast is on the voting ballot in three categories career army and best veterans podcast overall. Your continued support means the world to me. And you can click on the link in the show notes to cast your vote now or go to veteranspodcastawards.com. And in the middle of the screen, you'll see a vote now button. We appreciate your support and thank you for your service. Yeah. So can you like, maybe, maybe you could share an example of one of those stories with us. 
Yeah. So, uh, well, you, you're a military guy, it sounds like. So um, I'll share number nine, uh, the why I lead the way I do story, mm-hmm. because my favorite example is a guy who went to West Point. Okay. Uh, so his first leadership opportunity was in the Army. And uh, in fact, it was at a uh, training exercise out in California. I can't remember the uh, which fort it was, but uh, maybe Pendleton, can't remember, or Irwin, maybe. Um, anyway, uh, so he was assigned to be a tank platoon leader. Uh, so this training exercise, it was on a, like a 10 mile long, five mile wide training field. And they were going to go into, you know, simulated battle. Um, so it, uh, basically a giant game of laser tag, but with real tanks, right? You, you maybe even been through yeah. something like this. <laughs> he happened to be assigned to be the leader in the first tank that was going to go into battle on his side of the field with 399 tanks and, you know, wedge formation behind him. So of course, the night before he sits down with the commanding officer and look, look at a map of the train, figure out where the high ground is so they can have the best chance of winning the exercise. Next morning, the exercise starts, he's in the tank, they're racing out onto the field for 40 miles an hour. I don't know how fast those things go, right? <laughs> anyway, a few minutes in, he gets to the first place where he's got to make a decision to turn right or left. And he just has no clue what to do. Uh, apparently, you know, a, a, a training field looks different when you're looking at it through the crack in the hatch, right? Bouncing up and down at 40 miles an hour than it does on a map. And, conference room so he's got a decision to make he can either option one is he can stop the tank turn the light on get the map out figure out the right thing to do which i don't know might take 30 seconds option two is he could just guess mike chose option two he just yells out driver turn left so driver turns left right and then you know a few seconds later his light starts flashing in the tank which means you just got shot by a laser you're dead that's oh okay so those guys have to stop the tank pop the hatch get out they're done for the day Well, of course, tank number two turns left right behind him because that's their job, follow the leader, right? So their light starts flashing, they're done for the day. Tank number three turns left, their light starts flashing, they're done for the day. But the guys in tank number four saw three tanks turn left and get virtually shot and killed, right? So they realized that was a mistake. So the guys in tank number four turned right. And then 396 other tanks turned right. (laughs) They took the high (laughs) ground and won the exercise, right? Now- Mike made a mistake that day, and he turned left when he should have turned right. Mm -hmm. He learned an important leadership lesson, and that's this, that sometimes it's more important to make the wrong decision quickly than make the right decision slowly. I mean, imagine if he had chose option one and stopped the tank, turned the light on, gotten the map out. There'd have been 400 tanks just lined up, sitting ducks, right, all getting picked off one at a time. By turning left, even though it wasn't the right decision, I mean, life and war and business, they'll surface yeah. your, your mistakes to you pretty quickly, right? You'll yeah. realize, oh, that was a mistake and you can monitor and adjust. And so today as a business leader, he doesn't get stuck in this analysis paralysis that costs a lot of us months of wasted time where your competition is still moving forward. He's a much more decisive leader. And that story explains to people why he's a more decisive leader today. And it gives them an option to maybe be more decisive as well. So that's an example of a why I lead the way I do story. No, that's great. I, I it's, it's pretty powerful. I, I mean, I, I know I, I uh, identify with it just, you know, because of the nature of the story, you know, military, and I've been through that experiences before and known lots of people who've made the same mistake uh, <laughs> in the same outcome. So it, it really resonates with me and I'm sure it resonates with a lot of folks in the audience because they're, you know, veterans and, and things of that nature. So uh, I, I think we can all identify with a moment where we had to make a decision and had to choose and we chose quickly. And sometimes that ends up the wrong decision being the right one. Um, 
you know, you just finished telling us this story and Mike wasn't the hero really of the story. Um, and we all hear this, you know, most of us that are kind of been maybe doing this for a little bit or trying to tell stories there's that always that template of the hero's journey, right? That's the story that you have to tell. Um, can you kind of tell us what, you know, from your perspective and especially from, you know, business storytelling, what that structure looks like. And if it's not, yeah, so, even if it's not the hero's journey. Yeah. And, and it's not like, I, I don't even recommend that to my clients. Yeah. And the reason is because if you study the hero's journey, storytelling structure, it's like 17 steps long. And it, yeah, it's I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to write your first screenplay or write a novel, knock yourself out, but it's just not the kind of structure for a two minute business story. It's just mm -hmm. too complex and too long and, and too confining, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. So I, I tell people, you know, there, there are eight questions your story needs to answer and that's it. Um, and, and, and that's the whole story before, during, and after that 17 step hero's journey is just a plot of the story, but there's more of, anyway, it's way too complicated. So here's what I tell people. Mm -hmm. First of all, why should I bother listening to your story? You give people a reason, like to let them know, if you listen to me for the next two minutes, I'm going to tell you something that's important to you, right? They need to know that. So once you've answered that question, that's question number one, you've earned the right to answer the next five questions. And here they are. Where, when did it take place? Where and when did it take place? Who's the main character and what did they want? What was the problem or opportunity they ran into? What did they do about it? And how did it turn out in the end? Right? And that should sound like the natural flow of a story because it is the natural flow of a story. But if you keep in track, that's only six. There's, so there's two more questions. Mm -hmm. What did you learn from the story? And what do you think I should go do now? I, the person you're talking to, once you've told me the story. So that's your opportunity to draw a conclusion and make a recommendation for what they should go do, right? So if you answer those eight questions in that order, roughly in that order, that's the structure that you need and that will work in the business world. You don't need any, you know, Hollywood, you know, mm -hmm. type hero's journey story structure. Yeah, I always thought that was a really complicated and it, I didn't think it would, I don't really feel like it worked in the scenarios and the settings a lot of time because that becomes really long and drawn out when you're trying to tell this star wars trilogy story you know right, right. <laughs> and it's so crazy too. um yeah. you know and you know the story you just told about mike and the tank and you know taking taking the left turn instead of the right turn um there was kind of a surprise ending. I mean, at first, you know, I mean, even for me, there was there was a little bit of a surprise ending, even though I'd been in that scenario, I'd seen a lot of people in that scenario. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different options that could have happened, and you think you know where you're going next with it, but then you switched it up, you know, yeah. because it, it you started going down this path and you thought, okay, well, tech number five is just gonna get right behind mm -hmm. and you know, mm -hmm. they're all sitting ducks. So how do you create that surprise that where that shifts and yeah. now you've recaptured the attention of the person that's listening to you? Right. Yeah. There's a really simple technique and I'll, I'll just, I'll illustrate it with a, in a different way and then you'll see how it works. So there's a young boy named James, nine-year-old kid. He's in the kitchen with his mom and his mom's sister. While mom and auntie are sitting at the kitchen table, having a cup of tea, James is standing at the stove watching the tea kettle boil. And he's just fascinated with it, right? He's watching this jet of steam come out of the tea kettle and he's got a spoon. He holds it up there into the jet of steam, watches the water condense, or steam condense on it. Little drops of water come down into a cup and he's just watching the cycle go over and over and again, just fascinated with it. Well, eventually his mother's like, gets tired of him. She just barks at him. She's like, James, like 
go read a book, ride your bike, do your homework. Like, I mean, you know, aren't you ashamed of yourself just staring at the tea kettle for hours, you know? Well, fortunately, young James was undaunted by his mother's admonition because 20 years later, at the age of 29, of course, and in the year 1765, James Watt, little Jimmy, James Watt grew up to in, reinvent the steam engine, ushering in the industrial revolution that we, of course, all benefit from yeah. today, and all based on that fascination with steam that he developed at the age of nine in his mother's kitchen. Now, I first read that story in a book that was a biography of the inventor of the steam engine. So, of course, it was no surprise to me that that kid in chapter one grew up to invent the steam engine. But to you and your listeners, unless you're a history buff, yeah. that was probably a surprise, right? So here's, so here's how it worked. I simply took one or two vital pieces of information that belonged at the beginning of the story, his last name and the year, and I didn't give it to you until the end of the story. Presto, surprise ending. It's that simple. You can do it with almost any story. So now you don't take everything from the beginning and move to the end. That would just be weird. But one or two little things that are important but small from the, that belong at the beginning of the story and move it to the end. It's pretty easy. No, it's great. I mean, I hadn't even heard that story before about the steam engine. So I, I really do appreciate that. Um, you know, one of the last questions before we kind of jump in here at the end uh, or towards the end, uh, you know, a lot of the folks that we work with um, and you even said yourself, you know, you're kind of at that moment where you're what around 44 years old or something like that when you decided to make the jump well, from corporate I was America. then yeah 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 make the <laughs> jump from corporate america to becoming a self-published author and speaker mm. um and uh, you said you had two little kids you know and uh i know that's huge for a lot of us and you know we're trying to retell stories i remember my grandparents just telling these these stories and i always felt like you know even today they feel like titans <clears throat> You know, they, and it wasn't their stories. It was the stories of their ancestors when they came over to this country in 1747 and, you know, how they came across the Appalachian Mountains, you know, and, you know, these things, and then just, for me, it just, it, it captivated this, this, this pioneer feeling in me um, that I still kind of hold today. Uh, it was really just powerful um, and how they did that. Uh, and there was some funny stuff that happened too. So there was some of that, but uh, you know, how do you, you know, how do parents use storytelling to teach their kids these character lessons that they'll see, you know, maybe, and, I mean, you know, what's crazy is, is that, you know, we, we might not even see that character develop while we're around, but it will once we're gone, mm -hmm. you know, and because of the stories we told and they'll reflect back and be like, you know, like that was a powerful story. My parents told me and now right. I'm telling that. Yeah. Usually it's sharing our mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, you're sharing a story of when you made a mistake and learned a hard, mm -hmm. hard lesson, right? Because you want them to have the benefit of learning that lesson without having to go through the pain of having to make the mistake themselves. It's the same thing at work. That's why the boss should tell their failure stories is to teach people without them having to learn it themselves. I'm mean, experience is always the best teacher, but you, you want the people who work for you and you want your kids at home to benefit from your life's worth of wisdom sharing those stories will help them develop the character traits. And, but again, you don't have enough stories yourself, which is why my second book, which is parenting with a story. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a book full of 101 stories from these people all over the world that I found that had these interesting life experiences that taught them an interesting character trait, whether that's, you know, honesty and integrity or hard work or resourcefulness or fairness or kindness or whatever. 
you know, and you just kind of look through the chapters and find the character trait that, oh yeah, my kid needs more of that. <laughs> I'm going to tell them some of the stories in this chapter, right? Um, so you, you, you need a lot of stories. Um, and that's why I put that book together because most of us don't have enough on our own. No, that's cool. I, I really appreciate that. Um, I did look at the, the one about the, t- the 10 stories that leaders should tell, um, or, or, mm-hmm. should, you know, and I had not looked at that one. So I'm, I'm really curious about that one now. Um, you know, uh, earlier you mentioned, um, and this kind of ties into, you know, one of the questions we always ask at the end of every show is you talked about where are we going from here as a leader, you know, and that's that, that one of those stories that you tell, like what that vision looks like or that future looks like. So, you know, tell us where you think you'll be at um, in the next 10 or maybe even 20 years if, if yeah. you, you've thought that far in advance. You know, I, I think 10 years from now, I hope I'm kind of still doing the same thing I am now, but 20 years from now, no, I mean, I'm, I'm 53 now, <laughs> um, 20 years from now, I might be, uh, well, I'll probably just be retired, but maybe I'll be a high school science teacher or something. I, I don't know, but it's, it, yeah, I probably won't be doing what I'm doing now. I'd, I'd like to continue writing, mm-hmm. um, but traveling around the world and, uh, being on stage and speaking in front of people mm-hmm. at some point that probably gets tiring. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I know it sounds weird because I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd love to spend the last 10 years of my life uh, studying physics or chemistry or something just, you know, d- different than what I've been doing with the rest of my life. Well, it's pretty cool. I appreciate that. Um, we haven't had that answer yet, but uh, I, I really do respect that. I mean, you know, giving back to your community and, um, you know, helping young kids, you know, explore the world and, you know, and light, you know, turn those lights on. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's powerful stuff. Uh, so what is your definition, definition of true success? Then? I mean, if you, if you get away from all the accolades, the titles, the lights, the number of books you sell, the bestsellers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all these things, um, cause we always put arbitrary numbers on things. Like what is yeah. that intrinsic value that you're seeking out? Yeah. So if I had to, you know, really simplify it. I guess I would say, um, helping people while doing something that I love. I mean, you know, my dad told me the same thing your dad and every dad probably told their kids, which is, you know, if you find something that you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, so I found something I love to do now, um, writing and, and, and speaking. And if I can help people, if I'm just doing that for my own selfish, you know, joy, that's not as meaningful. But if I can actually help people mm-hmm. while doing something that I love, I think that combination really is true success for me and probably would be for most people. No, thanks. I, I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, you know, the last question is, is how are you going to create a ripple effect? So if you were to cast this stone in the water, um, what would that stone be that's going to resonate through maybe generations or communities? Uh, I'm not going to define it for you, but just give you a couple ideas of what that might look like. Uh, what will that stone be? Yeah. So, well, so for me, I think it's obvious it's, it's, um, it's using the art and the science of storytelling to help people be more effective at their jobs. And, 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 you know, so people have been doing that before I came along and they'll be doing it long after I've gone, but I hope to have contributed to the body of knowledge in that space. Um, you know, while I'm, you know, here on this earth. Uh, and I, I think writing books, being an author mm-hmm. is one thing that by definition, you're leaving a legacy that will outlast you. 
right? I mean, I want, when I write a book and it gets published, and by the way, you mentioned, uh, like, I'm, I'm not self-published. I, I mean, my, my books are yeah. published by, you know, kind of old school, traditional New York City publishing houses, you know, so they'll be there, you know, long after I'm gone. So they'll, I, I like to think that, you know, I'm 20 years after I'm gone, there'll be somebody cracking open one of my books in a library somewhere and learning from it. And so that's my legacy that, you know, I'm, I'm leaving it on paper, you know, in these books that I, I write. So that, that's just something unique about being an author that I think makes it easy to leave a more tangible legacy. Yeah, I always thought that was very powerful. I mean, just, you know, and I don't know why it took me later on, because when I was a kid, I used to read stories all the time. I used to read Westerns and different things, you know, and I was inspired by that. But uh, as for some reason in high school, I fell out of love with reading, um, probably for a lot of different reasons, but I didn't want to read too much poetry and <laughs> some of the other yeah. things that they were making us read. But, uh, yeah. and then uh, when I was in Iraq in 2006, I found um, that, that, love for reading again mm -hmm. and i at that moment i realized that you know there's decades of knowledge and information in between those two pieces of cardboard um mm -hmm. and uh you couldn't do probably anything more valuable with your time except apply that knowledge <laughs> so, right yeah right. so that's the that's the important piece it's not the utanian knowledge but you begin to apply it um so you have a you have like you have three podcasts can you tell us a little bit about those yeah, I just, you know, I, I started it with my first book. So my first book's Lead with a Story. So I started the Lead with a Story podcast, which is just to share leadership stories. It wasn't to teach people how to do storytelling. That was the topic of the book. The podcast, I just wanted to share these leadership stories to teach people to be better leaders. Um, and then I did that with the Parenting with a Story book. So there's a Parenting with a Story podcast. My third book is Sell with a Story. Mm -hmm. So for sales and marketing type books. So I, 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 you know, share sales stories and I have on other sales experts and, you know, share their stories. And um, I, I did not continue that with my other two books. So, but, but I continue those three and, you know, so leadership one week and next week, a parenting story. And the week after that, a sales and marketing story. And then I kind of start the process all over again. So that, that's, that's how I'm using that. No, it's awesome. I was, and I was under the impression that it might've been a three day, you know, you were podcasting three days a week. And then if you added another no, I'm not that ambitious. Day a week job, so <laughs> that'd have been incredible. I was nah. like, okay, how do you speak and write at the same time? So, cause uh -huh. that's a, that's a chore to, to run, you know, do three podcasts. So yeah. Can, yeah. But it's like, it's like running one because I, I cheat. I yeah. just do them yeah. one a week and then I'm off for two weeks and I do the next yeah. one, you know, so, but I, I like the theme. I mean, I, I do appreciate that because, you know, it's uh you know, you do business and then family and then, you know, and something different, the third one. So yeah. um, there's a little bit there for, you know, most folks and yeah, touching so. on different aspects of their lives as well. So uh, it's not just, you know, st strictly business all the time. No, I appreciate the time that you've given us. Um, is there anything, any last message that you would like to share with us or anything you would like to say? And um, just let us know where we can find you. Yeah, uh, thank you for that. So yeah, the, the last piece of advice I guess I just give folks mm -hmm. is to treat storytelling like any other business or leadership skill um, in that it's something you can learn. Don't think, oh, well, I'm just not a good storyteller. So I guess I, I'm not going to ever tell good stories. No, you can. I wasn't either. Right? But if you study it, I mean, study it like any, like a, you know, music or art or, you know, whatever, you know, read a book, take a class, watch some YouTube videos. I mean, treat it like a skill and go learn it. And then, and you'll get better at it. You, you, you really can. It's not this magical thing that only a few people can be good at. You can be good at it too. 
Um, and if I can help you with that, that's great. But they're, you know, you, they don't have to come to me. But um, if they do, they can find me on my website, which is uh, leadwithastory.com. And the links there to all my books and the training courses I do and stuff like that and contact information there. So that's probably the best place to, to find me. I think that's great advice because for years I told myself the same thing. I said I was never good at telling jokes. I was never good at telling stories. And and, and if you tie yourself that, then you're never going to be. And yeah. so until I learned this thing called immersion training, <laughs> and you immerse yourself, They're both in, learnable. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it, was, it was it was you know powerful. And I taught myself I could do things that I said I couldn't do, and I just had to mm -hmm. change my mindset as well. But it was great advice. No, I, I really do appreciate it. We'll put all those uh, links and 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 everything in the show notes so that folks can see the podcast and all that, and have an easy way to get to it. Um, again, and I just it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, and talk to us a little bit about this business storytelling and how it can touch you know, our kids' lives and, um, you know, and, and help us, you know, connect with other people, you know, throughout our lives. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Now it's up to you to put all this information into action. Please check out the links in the show notes, download a copy of the transcript, and support us by smashing that like button. Leave a comment or review on whichever platform you are listening to this show on. Now go out and carry this story forward. My name is Kirby Ingalls. I appreciate you listening to this episode. Honor your service to others and love the impact that you are creating. You've been listening to the True Success Podcast. I'll see you next time.